Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to Hapsent Minded. My name is Jared Book, and we are ever closer to knowing who will be on the Canadians' opening day roster as they set up their team for the opening game on Wednesday night in Toronto. Joining me today, Anton Rosgaard and Matt Drake. Anton, how are you? Oh, I'm uh, I'm perfectly fine, thank you. How are you, Jared? I'm uh, I'm doing well. Matt, how are you doing? I'm terrific. I'm ready for regular season hockey finally. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's been a long road, and just before we started recording this, obviously the the big story was uh, on Sunday when they put Gustav Lindstrom and Yul Armia on waivers. But we got new news this morning uh, that they also sent down Matthias Norlander and Emil Heinemann, who don't require waivers and have set their opening night roster, assuming none of these moves are paper transactions uh, and will make everything that we're saying today uh, no longer valid. But we're hoping that doesn't happen. But let's start with the big news, because I think the big news and the big surprise was that they actually decided to take Yul Armia off the roster and go with the their young players and their uh, players who were performing, quite frankly, better than him uh, in in the preseason. Matt, uh, you you started banging this drum uh, early in the preseason, and the Canadians uh, actually did the thing. Yeah, I mean, I I wrote about it once in the bottom six minutes articles. Anybody who's been listening to the bottom six knows that I've said it a few times. Uh, when he's been out there, but Yoel Armia just, he has not looked like an NHL player. He's been kind of floating out there. Um, I, I, I have not seen an effort level from a guy who wants to be playing uh, on an NHL roster this season. And I, I think, you know, you look at his overall performance the last few years, I, I think this was an overdue move for them to make something happen there. I do think, you know, maybe the delay of it, maybe why they didn't do it sooner is probably because they were trying to work out a trade. But that contract is a damn albatross to try and get rid of. You're you're kind of stuck with it. It was one of the worst parting gifts that Benjamin could have given the organization. And uh, they kind of got to do what they can. So now they're going to get some relief uh, from him going to the minors. I don't think anybody's picking him up. Uh, I can't. I've racked my brain after I heard the news that he was getting put on where so I'm like, who could possibly use him? The only team I could think of that maybe could use him uh, is just Arizona, just because they're the contract graveyard of the league. So I, it's the only team I could see maybe taking that flyer on him. But uh, I really don't think anybody will. So they'll get some cap relief. And then they also get, you know, the added benefit of being able to play better players in the NHL. I mean, it's uh, 
it, it's a good it's it's a good decision by the Habs. I'm glad they finally you know jumped the gun and made that shot. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's uh, Joel Armia has been a terrific a terrific servant for especially the old regime uh, with Julian and um, and also Ducharme. But he doesn't work uh, apparently in uh, Martin San Luis more you know, free-flowing brand of hockey. Um, he hasn't lived up to his expectations and he's also been injured. Um, so in the last three seasons, he's recorded 14 points in each of those seasons. Well, it's been, um, I mean, in 2021, it was a, you know, shortened season and all. And then he's, as I said, been injured, but he hasn't performed well um, since the 1920 season. So basically he got the the bag, the four-year deal that Mark Bergevin handed out. And then he just, it felt like he stopped trying. Obviously he, he yeah. is trying out there, but it's just like, you don't see the effort that you see from a couple of the younger guys who are trying to take his spot. And then, you know, you can only do it for so long and, and give him that many possibilities to, to find his flow again, before you have to say that this is just not working out for us. And, you know, the best thing for Joel Armia, if he indeed uh, goes through waivers and goes down to Laval, is just to show himself at a, you know, at a lower level and be, a, you know, a sort of a big brother figure for a couple of the younger guys in Laval and find that flow again. Uh, maybe all he needs is a little bit more, you know, time on the ice, which he will get uh, in the AHL, a bigger role. He has a lot of hockey in him, but he hasn't shown it for three years now. Yeah, he's really, you know, both of you kind of touched on it. He's really one of the only players to get worse uh, under mm-hmm. Martin St. Louis uh, from, from yeah. Dominic Ducharme. And, and I think I think a lot of that is his style of play. I, I don't think it's it, it's it's anything to do with, you know, you know effort and, and things like that. I, I just think that he's a player that really worked well when the the emphasis on the offense was the point shot. <laughs> right because he would retrieve yeah. pucks get it back to the point and just kind of stay stay in front of the net and and he doesn't really do the the, the things that Martin St. Louis preaches like he doesn't do the the movement on the ice and the 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 kind of everybody in a spot and positionless hockey and all that he, he just doesn't do like he's not built for that and, and that's not a knock on him really it's just the reality of the situation where he it's it's not it's it's becoming a team that's playing a certain style and I think that, you know, in, in our chat, you know, during the last preseason game, I think it was Justin who mentioned like, this team is just fast and, and Yul Armia is just not fast. <laughs> like that's not, that's not his game. Right. And, yeah. and I think that, yeah. I, I think that it, it's again, not a knock on him. It's just the way this team is going. The, there's, there's other players you would rather see uh, and, and evaluate quite frankly. I would, I, I, I think that's it. <clears throat> I would have to say there there is a knock on him though. Uh, I, I disagree on the part about the effort. I do not think that the effort is there. Look at Joshua Wa, a guy who is not certainly not one of the fastest players on the roster. He's been getting a lot faster uh, as he's developed, but he's still not to this day one of the fastest players on the roster. And he hasn't looked out of place once when he was playing with the NHL team. Why did Yoel Armil look so out of place? I would say he's probably at least as fast as Joshua Wa. So what's the difference? I really think part of part and parcel is is the effort. Um, you saw that one play in the red and white game where he ended up getting beat by Kirby Doc and then shoved him from behind towards the goaltender. Number one, never shove anybody from behind into your own goaltender. That's just, I don't know why there's still so many players in the NHL that do that when they get beat. It's like they get frustrated and they're like, well, I got I to gotta do something. I got to land a shot on this guy. So they shove him right into the goaltender. Now, 
nothing ended up happening out of it but it pissed me off to no end because i'm like you got beat in a, in a red and white scrimmage and you decide to shove you know one of our actual top six players towards a goaltender i don't like that at all and why did that happen well it's because you got caught flat-footed and you got beat all right in a scrimmage in particular you get beat because you're flat-footed i want to see you just you know drop your head go out next shift and work a little bit harder right definitely don't throw a little tantrum and push the guy towards the goaltender. And I would say the same thing, even for regular games, like don't shove people towards your goaltender. It's just dumb. And it's, I think it's a byproduct of him not necessarily having that effort, but also at the same time, not having the ability to position himself to avoid having to catch up to players like that. Right. I don't think anybody expects him to catch Kirby doc. Kirby doc is faster than he is. However, he could put himself in a position where he can actually D up Kirby doc and not have to be coming from behind and trying to chase him down. So um, I, 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 I don't necessarily disagree with what you said, Jared, but I do have those knocks on Yoel Armia and his performance so far. It's been problematic for me. So and that's why I like so much that they that they made this decision. In, 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 fairness, also, in yeah. fairness to Armia, just, just yeah. for a, a quickly, Anton, uh, yeah. he wouldn't be the only veteran to not show effort in the preseason. <laughs> but 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 on the other hand, his job was literally on the line um, yeah. as well, right? So yeah. um, you, you would expect him to show a little bit more. Um, yeah, just... No, I would just I would just like to add that um, Joshua Roy, as a comparison, Josh, Joshua Roy lives very much. I mean, he's not the fastest, but he is highly intelligent on the ice. He plays a very intelligent style of game. And Joel Armia has has never been that kind of player. He's never been the, you know, the dangle master, the uh, the setup, the, the setup man, the guy who positions himself super well. He's been, you know, he's needed the physicality and the effort to actually make an impact. And now that he doesn't, it's kind of like falls flat. Uh, he can't really compensate with, you know, um, you know, position pos- positioning himself well and being the intelligent man because it's just not his style of play. Yeah, exactly, and and you know right. Matt Matt mentioned the the albatrosses that Mark Bergevin, uh, the parting gifts that Mark Bergevin left, uh, yeah. and the only ones left really are are David Savard and Christian Dvorak, both of which have some semblance of value to this team in some capacity. Um, Brendan Gallagher as well. As yeah, I, I I wouldn't necessarily call that a. I mean, yes, that contract is is not very good. Yeah. Um, but but it, it's he still has value on the ice as well, right? You, even he has, he brings something, right? No one's talking about be, you know Brendan Gallagher being a healthy scratch in this lineup. Um, yet, he, yeah, yet. Well, he's been, yeah. yeah well, he, I, I don't think he'll ever be a healthy scratch. <laughs> I I think I think if he ever gets to a point where he's not good enough, it's because he's hurt. He's at yeah, least that... been a comeback candidate every year, right? Because you look at his stats. And if you're looking just at his EP page, right, you're going to go, oh, this is a brutal contract, right? Because he's not, the goals and assists aren't there. But if you know what he's actually doing out there, if you know he gets a lot of pucks to the net and he gets a lot of pucks to the net in high danger areas, that's why he's been almost every year a candidate for potentially a comeback player. But of course, the injuries and uh, he just seems snake bitten. So like, I, I agree, there's still some value there. Whereas, you know, with a guy like Armia, I don't think anybody had ever been at any point in the last couple of years saying, oh yeah, here's here's a comeback candidate for you. Yeah, and you know, they, they, you know even, even the Josh Anderson contract probably won't age very well. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think there's a, I, I, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how, how this team, you know, goes about the cap because they have most of their guys locked in for at least their main guys locked in um, at least at forward 
um, for, for a couple of years. So it'll be very interesting to see how that goes. The, the other guy they sent down uh, on Sunday was, was Gustav Lindstrom. Probably not as big as Habs legend. Habs legend, <laughs> Gustav Lindstrom. Well, you know what? He He's a perfect, you know, everyone's saying, oh, this just shows the Petrie trade was bad. But really, that's he was there as an insurance policy. If the young players took a step back or if someone got hurt, you had Gustav Lindstrom to make your opening day roster. But him going to Laval is not an indictment on that. It just means that there are better, younger players that were better. And, and one of them was was sent down in, in also in, in Matthias Norlander. So I think that yeah. he's... He's organizational depth. He plays on the right side, which is uh, very important in, in today's NHL. There's not there's not that many uh, right-handed defensemen, uh, and so I, I think that you know both of those things. He'll go to Laval. He'll he's a guy that you can put in the lineup, put out of the lineup. He's a guy you can call up if somebody gets hurt, and you don't mind sitting in the press box. There's there, there's still some some intriguing, uh, you know, he's still useful. Um, if he doesn't get claimed and get sent to Laval, but I, I don't think it's a very it's a surprise, a because the team was healthy except for Chris Weidman um, on defense, and b uh, everybody, you know, he was outplayed by at least about seven eight guys <laughs> on the defense, uh, so there wasn't really much room for him. I'm getting a yeah. little bit of Gustav of some vibes. Just you know, he was... thinking of old old Gustavs in the Montreal Canadiens organization who, you know, came came as a kind of like you know meh trade and then never really stuck. But uh, but yeah, he was uh, depth. Hope... He, yeah, he, he was, was depth, depth, and everybody knew that from the start. Uh, I don't think he was acquired. Uh, like he wasn't the main piece in that Petrie trade. They wanted to get the pick, and they wanted to get out from under the rest of Petrie's money, or at least the amount of it that they could. Uh, and I think they took him just to shore up their depth because they knew, okay, well, we had Petrie and we're no longer going to have him. We're going to need bodies because I've said this before, right? They're probably, we hope, going to have less man games lost to injury this season, but it's not going to be zero. There's going to be injuries. You're going to need people that you can bring up and that are capable of skating NHL minutes, which he is. Now, of course, should it, it should go mentioned that everybody's favorite fake scout that shall remain nameless had predicted Gustav Lindstrom to be on the top pair at one point during the preseason. That's obviously not going to happen and was never going to happen, but it's, it's, it's just, it's depth, right? They have the ability to pull this guy up anytime they want and he can play, you know, bottom pair minutes and it's not going to be a big problem for them. I don't think, however, that he's going to be very high on the call up list. I think based on what they've said, uh, based on what I've heard from Martin Saint-Louis, at least in his interviews, I think they really want to see what Logan Mayu can do at some point. So I could see him getting called up. I think William Trudeau is the most deserving of anybody yeah. uh, that's currently down in Laval of getting a call up. So I think well, Matthias Norlinder is there now as well. Matthias Norlinder was, yeah, he, we, well, we haven't gotten to him yet, so I wasn't going to bring no. him up. Thanks for spoiling no, no. the rest of the podcast, <laughs> Anton. Um, but... All I'm trying to say is there's there's a number of guys who definitely are, are more deserving of that call up than than Lindstrom. I think he's pretty low on the list. He's depth. Um, it's it's decent depth to have. It's always good to have more bodies that you can pull up that have played NHL minutes. And we'll see. I think I think the Habs brass is probably hoping that they don't have to call him up this year because it would mean that they had to go through options one, two, three, and four already. Yeah, he's he's really he's really the perfect guy to call up if you if, you know if someone gets hurt for a little bit and you need somebody to be like that extra body. Uh, yeah. and he's, he's kind of the guy you would call up for that, right? You're not going to call up uh, a Trudeau or a Norlander or a Mayu to, to kind of fill that spot or even a, a Struble. Um, 
you know, kind of like a little bit like Brady Keeper, right? Like he, he's just one of those guys, and and you need to have that that guy in Laval that can just solidify that right side. And they have Keeper there now, and they have uh, now they have Lindstrom as well that they can you know rotate in and out of the lineup if they need to, and and that's there's value in that. There's value in having the guy that's there, and, and this sounds like I'm I'm knocking him, but there there's. You know, there's still very good hockey players in the AHL or NHL bubble, yeah. right? Like it's it's not like I'm saying he's a bad hockey player. It's just it's very useful for an organization to have guys like that you can call up, uh, so that you're yeah. not rushing players. And, you can draw a lot of yeah. Sorry, I, I was just gonna say you can draw a lot of comparisons to another former Red Wing, in Xavier Roulette, who yeah. who was with the Habs for for a number of years and never really stuck in the NHL, but was a was a great guy for Laval. And uh, you know, in Lindstrom, I think well, he's tur- he turns twenty five in a couple of a uh, couple of weeks, and unless he does the Brett Kulak like trajectory of just uh, you know suddenly breaking out then he you probably kind of know what you have in him and he can probably be a valuable asset for laval and someone as you said jared that you can throw up uh, in any kind of like uh, any kind of situation and just play a few games and then get sent down again yeah and you know th- those things also mean that he mm. he's more likely to get claimed on waivers than neil armia for sure um, not, not that i think he will but but if you're talking about you know who's more likely to be claimed it's definitely it's definitely Lindstrom um, over Armia just because that you know the three point four million for this season and next season there there aren't a lot of teams that that can fit that in and, and let's face it if there was interest he would have been traded and not put on waivers um, yeah <laughs> and and the Canadians and, and that's something I want to touch on we didn't really touch on it but I, I want to touch on it quickly is that the Canadians could have probably retained contract or held on to him to see if they can eke out a draft pick and they just said no. Like they're they're past they're past that point in the rebuild, and they moved on to a different phase of it, where now they're evaluating young players as opposed to just collecting assets, and I think that that's an important distinction to make a little bit. Like they're still rebuilding; they're still not going to make the playoffs this year in all likelihood, but they they're moved on to a different stage, and I think that that's yeah. that's indicative of 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 what they're doing and. You know they're they're trying to surround themselves with better players because you can argue that Tanner Pearson's basically replacing Yul Armia, right? Like that that roster oh, yeah. spot that was set for a veteran who's going to play bottom six minutes is now is now Tanner Pearson's and not Yul Armia's. And I think that it became clear as the preseason went on that they were not going to have room for both of them, and and that's that's exactly what happened. Um, and we, you know, people were scared that he was, you know, Tanner Pearson was going to take a spot from a young guy. Um, but in reality, they they made the decision to to take it away from from Armia, which, like I said, moving on to the next phase. They're not just holding on to guys just to to collect a draft pick at the deadline. And and yeah. you kind of saw that last year, right, with the guys like Dadanov, and and even you know to a certain extent Hoffman, where they they were clearly not better than, you know, a Harvey Pinard or an Ulanen or guys like that, but they were keeping them around and, and hoping to, to trade them. And uh, in the end, they, they did trade Dadanov, but, um, and they trade Hoffman too, actually. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, it's like they did, they did trade him too. So yeah, no. It, which it, was, which was shocking that they were even able to do because that, that contract seemed about as much of an albatross as, as your Armias. Right. It was only Jeff Petrie coming back that but, probably made that easy, and yeah. also Pittsburgh, you know, sh- sh- sending that to 
to San Jose too, right? That's it's a, it's that, that also. Happens. I mean, it was only one year left now on Hoffman's deal, so right. it always gets easier when it's only one year left, right? Which is yeah. which is what makes Pearson a guy to circle at the trade deadline too. Exactly, um, especially if yeah, he, but if they he's healthy. They have what? Correct me if I'm wrong. One retention spot left. They were never going to use that on Yol Armia with what right. he's got two years left on his deal. Like they're not. They're not going to eat up that much salary for another two years. Use up for what a fourth round. They want, (laughs) yeah, they want that flexibility. Yeah, they want that flexibility because what if they need to eat somebody else's salary and it's going to be like a first or a second round pick that they're going to be getting at the deadline, right? Yeah, I think Kent Hughes wants to maintain that ability to say, okay, well, I can still retain a contract, and at least then he'd be moving somebody who's a lot more likely to to attract interest, right? Like a Tanner Pearson, I think, um, with how much he makes and uh, if they were able to retain, if they retain 50% and they trade him at the deadline, I think if he does even just decently well this season, he might make himself pretty attractive to some contenders. Uh, I yeah, can see Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning paying three first round picks for Tanner Pearson. At the <laughs> yeah, trading, trading their, tw- you know, trading a 12 year old, right? Cause that's the only yeah, first yeah, round yeah. pick they have is, is <laughs> exactly. 12 year old right now. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's move on to the news from Monday morning and mildly surprising, but really not. Uh, and I think the most surprising thing uh, about them sending Matthias Norlander to Laval is that it wasn't Justin Barron. And and I think that um, the, the more that I think about it, the, the more I understand. Uh, and, and it really comes down to Justin Barron being on the right side. There's, there's a clear path for him to get playing time. Uh, and and kind of rotate in and out of lineup than there would be for Norlander, and and I think that it, it's I, I think the biggest the biggest surprise, and I'm going to say surprise because I don't think Joshua Hua or William Trudeau were necessarily surprises, but the biggest surprise of this camp was probably Matthias Norlander becoming an NHL option again because I I think oh. we we oh. talked about this a little bit uh, when we were talking about the the, the first round of cuts. Uh, and how he was ranked in the top 25 under 25, none of us really believed in him. But I think that him becoming that kind of player um, is is huge for the Canadians because I think that there's, you know, he he goes from a guy who was, you know, maybe struggling to get into the lineup in Laval to being, you know, one of the first options to be called up to the NHL. Yeah, and he adds such an exciting element as well. And that was basically what we were missing from last year. Because he didn't show the element that he had shown, especially during the Moodoo, uh season, uh, well, post the season post draft, and also uh, in the few games he actually got to play with Fralunda when he wasn't injured. Um, it was the exciting rush element that he had to his game, where he could, you know, transition the game, uh, transition the puck from defense to offense. Um, he could dangle a little. He could uh, provide both a shooting and passing option. And in Laval last season, you didn't really see that. You saw more of a, you know, stay at home kind of defenseman, and that was not what the Habs mm. thought they were getting when they assigned him. So. Um, just, I remember like I met him and Emil Heinemann during the spring when I was in Montreal and, uh, 
I had heard Patrick uh, saying before that, well, Matthias is a little bit shy. He's a little bit, you know, withdrawn and it may be difficult to, to get him to talk. And I didn't feel like that as, at all. So I think that it he gained a lot from Emil Heinemann coming over, getting a Swedish guy in the same age as him, um, you know, to just being around him and, and going through the same thing as he was. Um, I, I heard that he was hanging around a lot with Jan Mishak before, and Jan Mishak got Jakob Dorbisch at the same time, so he got a Czech compatriot at the same time, and all of a sudden we see both Mishak and Norlinder performing better, um, and maybe being mm. both val valuable you know, options for the future. I think that Matthias Norlinder just needed a little bit of confidence. He needed to play most of all last season, and, and now... He looks like the kind of confidence, um, yeah, the confidence is 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 up there, and all of a sudden he he looks like someone who could uh, one day be uh, an NHL player uh, if it's with the Habs or or somewhere else. But you know, he looks like he could have a future in the league. Yeah, and you know, he was one of the few guys in that preseason that looked pretty damn capable on the mm -hmm. power play, right? The power play, let's face it been pretty atrocious it's probably not going to be great this season it looks too predictable um you know you can see that they're trying to funnel that puck to cole caulfield and you know as accomplished of a shooter as he is this that that sheer predictability of it is going to make it tough for the Habs. but when norlander was out there <clears throat> you know he's trying some sneak attack shots from the point where he's just letting a quick release go through traffic and it's finding the net and even when he's not finding the net i mean he's he's making smart passes he had a play where he picked one out of midair uh, and held the line during the, the power play. I mean, he was, I would say, and this might be a bit of a hot take, but I would say he he was probably the most potent looking power play player out there for them in the preseason. Now, you know, it's preseason. They're still working on some kinks. I think, as we all know, Caulfield is going to be the guy that they're looking to try and get going on the power play. Uh, Nick Suzuki, probably a close second. But Norlander, if they happen to need a body at any point, he offers at the very least better power play skills than they're getting from anybody else. And I would even say better than Logan Mayu, who is, you know, well known for what he does on the power play specifically, that being his maybe number one asset that might get him to that next level. But I think uh, Matthias Norlander may have usurped him on that front. And if they're looking at any point and they're saying, okay, well, we need a body from Laval <clears throat> and we also need it to be somebody who can play on the power play. They might be looking at Norlander first before, uh, before even Logan Mayu. So I think he did enough to put himself on the map. I was surprised, though, that uh, that it was him going down and not Justin Barron. I mean, I think if you were going on pure merit, if you were just looking at the way those two different players played throughout the preseason, it, it's Matthias Norlander in a landslide, uh, for sure. I, if you pulled the fan base, I, I think it would probably be 60-40, if not even worse, in favor of Matthias Norlander saying that he should be the guy to make the team. So I think that's a little bit strange. Um, I don't necessarily love it, but at the same time, it, it makes sense. Norlander's going to get more minutes as a result of being down there. He'll probably get to play power play one for Laval, and uh, we'll see. If he can keep doing the kind of things that he's been doing in the preseason so far in the AHL, he's going to he's gonna start real real nice, and he's going to put himself on the map for the first call-up. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think there's a parallel to where Justin Barron was last year and where Matthias Norlander is this year in that – Matthias Norlander, he's been in Laval for two seasons, um, you know, two two full seasons, I think, um, or maybe even just one full season and then one of that that half and half season. 
uh, yeah, right. One one full season, one half and half season. He's never really been the guy in Laval, right? Like he never really played power play in Laval. He never really played top pairing minutes in Laval. I, I'm I'm thinking that they're sending him down to be the guy, right? Like he's going to be um, likely the top power play guy. He's going to be playing because I want to see this Matthias Norlander that we saw in the preseason in Laval because we haven't really seen it there. And I think that that is the going to be indicative of, of what he does from here. And I don't know what the team said to him before being sent down, but it's clear that he got every opportunity in the NHL and showed himself to be a very good option. And I think that if he can be that player in Laval for a bit, um, that, that'll help him once he gets to the NHL too. Because as, as much as we've seen it in the preseason, we didn't see that Matthias Nolander in Laval. And J.F. Hull didn't use him like that. So I'm very curious to see uh, how he balances him and, and whether he gets that power play time because he he didn't really get it before. And and I think that he's shown to be that guy now. And, and you know, before, you know, in Sweden, you watch some of those clips and he he's like, he's he's dynamic. He's he's everything. And and you you watch him, you know, in early in Laval and, and in, you know, early in his NHL time, he was nowhere close to that. You know, he looked like his wings were clipped and, and now he's finally starting to, to emerge again. And and I want to see that confidence uh, in Laval and I want to see confidence put in him um, and not just, you know, you know, he, he played some penalty killing in, in Laval, but I, I think that there's an opportunity there. Laval's power play is going to be very good. And um, between Joshua Roy, uh, Norlinder and, uh, you know, Leah Sanderson, another, another Swede, uh, mm-hmm. And and also the uh, the guy that was sent down with Norlander on Monday morning, and that's Emil Heineman. And I, I we'll we'll transition to him because I feel like people were expecting him to make the team in in some capacity. Um, I, I don't know if he was ever a favorite for that spot, especially with the emergence of Rafael Harvey Pinard and and the fact that Issy Ullinen needed waivers. Um, I, I don't know if he would have been a guy that outplay both of them and he didn't in the preseason, but he's a guy that also is one of those forwards. Now one of those players in Laval that will likely be a future Montreal Canadian. It's just a matter of, of when. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he had a pretty impressive preseason. Like he's, he's very physical in the offensive zone Uh, on the four check. I really liked it. Like he named Lynn some nice reverse hits. Like he, he looks like a tank out there at times and uh, obviously has a very good shot. I think there's, there's a universe where he could have made that, that Montreal Canadiens team. And I think you hit the nail on the head. There is uh Elon and requiring waivers. You don't want to expose him to waivers because somebody's picking him up. He's not going to go through like Yoel Armia. Uh, he's cheap and he's got a real nice shot. So Laval is going to miss him, but I think he's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how he can uh, take a spot on the Montreal Canadiens roster. And Heinemann's going to get his chance to do exactly that eventually as well. Uh, a, a lot of those same qualities I talked about, the physicality, the ability to help out on the power play, just having an absolute beast of a shot. Those are things that, you know, when you get called up, you can make a name for yourself. We saw him do it last year when he went over to Laval and he was scoring, well, I, I think it was in his first eight games, he had seven goals or something like that. And everybody was going, okay, this kid's show ready. He can play in the NHL right now. It, you see how those skills, that ability to put the puck in the back of the net, it can really quickly put you on the map. And uh, as, as long as he... he keeps doing exactly that and love out putting the puck in the net and potentially um, as you mentioned might get some serious power play minutes in order to do that 
um, he as well could be uh, somebody that they could be looking to call up um, whenever they need a body up front. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Emil Heinemann is interesting in what you say, that he adds both a physical element and that he can score, uh, obviously. And uh, the Habs need a few more elements. Well, long term, they will need more elements uh, on the power play to be more deceptive. As you said, it's mostly just going to Cole Caulfield at this point or finding Nick Suzuki yeah. on the, you know, in his favorite position where, where he can score. Um, so I just, you know... I, for me, it doesn't matter that these guys are going down now because the Habs aren't supposed to be good now anyway. The The important thing is that they're showing growth and that they're showing, uh, you know, that they are uh, progressing the right way. It it demonstrates that uh, the Canadians have done something right in regards to their talent development team in the last few years. Finally, um, finally, we can see a clear path going from, you know, being drafted to going to Laval and then coming up to the NHL. We see guys, Jesse Ullinen is a prime example of that. He's 24 now, and now it looks like he is supposed to be a mainstay on the team. And uh, he he was drafted in 2017. It's It's been six years, and now finally he makes the team out of camp. Um some would argue that he should have stayed with the team last year uh, out of camp as well. But he got sent down, proved himself uh, one last time in Laval, and now he's with the Canadians. Uh, next year, I I'm not expecting uh, the Canadians to re-sign someone like Tanner Pearson. We also don't know what's going to happen with guys like Christian Dvorak, uh, Sean Monaghan. Uh, Michael Pazetta is always going to be in that folder of being the 12th, 13th forward. Uh, there's going to be space for these guys to come up. We see, uh, I, I hope that we get to see guys like Sean Farrell, Joshua Roy, um, uh Riley Kidney, light it up together with Heinemann and and really uh, turning Laval into a juggernaut this season. That that will be beneficial for all of their development. And then we have these guys um, uh, that, that maybe can can be, you can fill in the roster spots and on the second, third line in a couple of years' time. Yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting. We, we talked about how the Army uh, waiver, putting him on waivers, was, was moving on to a separate phase of the rebuild. Another part of that separate phase is that your 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 Laval team ends up being very very good and young, and I'm just looking at Cat Friendly and the 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 forwards that Montreal the the, the players that Montreal have in Laval right now uh, is are remarkably young, right? Like you have Mishar who's 19, Farrell 21, Heineman 21, Simono 22, Kidney 20, Roy 20, Mishak 21, Legare 22. Then you have Maillet, who's 30 and like by far the oldest guy. Uh, Lucas Condota <laughs> is 25. So Mitchell Stevens, 26. Leas Anderson, 24. Then you move to the defense. They have Mayu, who's 20. Struble, who's 22. Merlinder, 23. Trudeau, 20. Bodan, 24. Keeper, 27. Like th this is a remarkably young team that, mm. that's going to be in Laval. And, and some of those guys will have to go to the ECHL just to get playing time. And it's it's kind of... We kept on talking about this organizational depth that they have, and the top 25 under 25 is a good example of that. Uh, and now we're going to start to see the cream rise to the top and, and which one ends up, which ones, you know, show themselves to be better than the rest. Because that's right now, we, we know these players, they're, they're, we know their names, we know their history. But at a certain point, it's going to come down to who performs. And, you know, there's not enough room on the roster for all of them. 
that that's that's you know it, it's evident when you're getting guys sent down like Norland and Heineman who had pretty good training camps. Um and, and it's gonna be very interesting to see who steps up. And you know, I, I think a guy like Joshua Wa uh won't will likely not be in Laval very long if his preseason game is any indication. And uh I think he got like three assists in, in that game, uh if not if not four. But he's He's uh-huh. going to be a guy like Laval. I, I said it on, on Twitter or X or whatever. I'm still calling it Twitter. Um, a few days ago, Laval is going to be the most offensively skilled team they've ever had. And yeah. it comes down to guys like Heinemann and Hua and Kidney and, and Meshar and Farrell. And all the, I mean, even guys like Maya and Anderson uh, as well. Stevens, uh, who had a great end of the season. And, and it's going to be, you know, then you look at the guys like Norlander and and Mayu and Struble who can bring some offense as well. It, it's going to be one of those things that it's going it's they're going to be fun. That they might lose games like six five uh, at, at times, uh, but they're going to probably also win games six five. Um, and it, it's going to be like Laval last year. The knock on Laval was that they didn't have any top prospects, right? It was like Harvey Pinard and. And you know Baron, I guess, and and Ulanin, but all the other guys stayed up in the NHL, right? But now you have Mayu, and you have uh, Dobish, and you have uh, Farrell, and you have Heineman, and you have Wa, and you have Kidney and Meshar, and and all these guys yeah. who who are top prospects for this organization, and, and it's it's a it's a different phase of the rebuild, and and I think that both teams will learn as they're going and, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun year. I think like we had a a couple of, of really not fun years. Like, like the, the, obviously the Ducharme year was, was just not fun. Like it it was a bad, it was up up and down. It was up and down. First it was, you know, getting to the Stanley cup final. I meant meant the year after not, not I I mean, literally the, the year they finished last in the league. Um, That year was not fun. Um, Last year was a bit more fun. But still, you know, they were overmatched. There were lots of injuries. And, you know, I'm knocking on wood right now. But they've been moderately healthy so far this this preseason, um, which is why all these people are in Laval, let's be honest. Um, so so that that's part of it, too. But a couple of years that were not very fun. They, they had fun moments, uh, but not very fun. This year, I think, is going to be fun. It might not be successful, in terms of playoffs or wins and, you know, at least with consistency, but I, I think it's gonna be a lot more fun this year. Mm. I also think like, Which if you key. have a chance, yeah. If, you, if you're in the Montreal area, going to see a Laval rocket game or two or three or four uh, would be really fun this year. Um, I kind of wish that I was there. For like sure. I was there for the playoff push uh, this last spring, but um, yeah, for now uh, this could be, this could be a really interesting year in terms of Habs development. And and I would argue also, like, yeah, we've had two not very fun years, but it's not been fun to follow the Montreal Canadiens for a long time. Um, <laughs> they're the most successful franchise in the <laughs> NHL, but they've done a lot of things wrong in, in the last 30 years uh, in terms, especially of talent development. So it's been, a, I, I remember talking to my friend who's a New York Rangers fan a couple of years back. And he was arguing that, well, the Canadians are always going to be a bubble team um, because they're too afraid of being uh, stinkingly bad uh, a couple of seasons and and tank out. 
And um, I think that that was part of it. You know, there was, there was a pride in the organization of not being the worst. And all of a sudden, we've we've had to come to terms with being down there with Arizona and Anaheim and all these uh, teams. But I think that that could also be beneficial for the uh, for the way the organization organization looks at themselves. It can't, it can't always be about old merits and you know what what did the the Richards do 50, 60 years ago? We have to look forward as well. And and now at least uh, it feels like we're turning a corner and maybe it can be up to something more than just a bubble team. Yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely gonna be fun. You know, the the home opener in Laval is is sold out uh, already, uh, and and so there, there's obviously some interest there as well. I mean, there there were a lot of fans that were upset that the preseason game was 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 uh was closed to the public, uh, and that just goes to show you how excited fans are uh, about about the Rocket and about the future. Because yeah, like like Anton mentioned, there's been there's been moments that have been fun. Um, you know, a playoff, a few playoff runs that have been fun, but you never got the, the idea that what they were doing was sustainable. And now you're kind of like, this might be, I mentioned Laval, how Laval might be the most offensively skilled they've ever been. This might be like the, the most offensively skilled the Canadians organization has been in like 30 years <laughs> and and in terms of the prospects coming up in terms of you know guys like Suzuki and, and Doc and Caulfield and the NHL like th- there's a lot of skill now that that doesn't didn't used to necessarily be there and, and I think that you know they do need to develop and, and show themselves like I'm not going to say that they're the most offensively skilled NHL team that they've had because that's not true but organization wise like we're we're a long way from like the Daniel Cars and Charles Houdons being like the top prospects and, and that's not a knock on yeah. them it, it's just the reality of the situation that the, the there's a lot more opportunities for players now and i don't know whether it's going to be Joshua Roy or Sean Farrell or Emil Heineman but i'm pretty sure that one of them will become a top 6 NHL player whereas i, I you know before it had to be Daniel Carr or it had to be Charles Houdon or it had to be you know, Nikita Sherback or, you know, one of those, it had to be one of the, like a specific guy or it had to be a Michael McCarron. And now it's like, you know, if it's not one of them, it's going to be somebody else. And then, you know, all of a sudden Raphael Harvey Pinard becomes a potential top six player out of nowhere. And, and I think that's, that's kind of the fun of it is that now it's up to the players and, and the Canadians have, have put themselves in a good position and yes, they're missing that elite player, but if you collect enough of the the B players, it, it it can get you an opportunity to 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 find find one of them to become an A, and and that's kind of the the trick of of this whole trade is that um it, it's a lot better than when they were drafting Bs and they were becoming Ds in a couple of years. So, so what you're basically saying is that we can trade the entire Laval Rocket roster now for Connor McDavid and just. Fix everything. <laughs> Pro- prove me wrong that it wouldn't make Edmonton better if they did that. <laughs> it probably would. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, I well, maybe I don't know. I, I'm, I'm well to that point. I, I think Edmonton's problem is that they don't have the depth. And, yeah, and exactly. Like, like, like you know, you, you can have hockey is is a. I think it was Arpin Basu who had an article like this in the Athletic and and mentioned it to Marte Saint in a press conference that like. Hockey is is kind of is not a, a top down sport, right? Like otherwise, Connor McDavid would win every year, or Austin Matthews would win every year, and they don't. And, and I think that it, it's about the developing 
um, a group of players, right? The only reason why Tampa Bay is successful is not because of Steven Stamkos, but it's because no. they surrounded Stamkos with the Kucherovs and the points and the Sorelli and, and, f- and f- the found the Jenny Jenny Gords and and right you know, the world, exactly yeah. like you know like if if Montreal has a has a group of you know, potential thirty goal scorers like like uh, Jonathan Marcheseau and Yanni Gord out of nowhere, in in guys like Harvey Pinard and and Farrell and Heineman or guys like that, like that's that's how you build winners. It, it's not all about having the McDavid's, the Matthews, the Bedards. It, it's about surrounding them properly. And um, you know, you, you notice those Chicago teams, right? They still had Taves and Kane, but everybody else around them, the Bolins, the all, all those guys. You know the, the Panarins, the 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 Sads, the, the guys like that. When they started leaving, the team got worse. We've touched on everything pretty important there. I think this is going to be a much more fun year uh, for the Habs and for the Rocket. I think I would echo what Anton said. You know, if you're in the Montreal area and you can get to a Rocket game, they're considerably cheaper than Habs games, and that's going to be a very fun team to watch. And that's kind of the future developing for you right in front of your eyes there. Uh, I really think that the Habs are are on their way to having uh, a, a deep NHL roster in the next couple of years. I think the the painful years are, are going to be quickly behind us. So we got maybe one more here, but I do agree. I think it's going to be a lot more fun this time around. We're going to see some young players uh, getting rotated through the NHL lineup. And, you know, it's probably not going to be a playoff year. That's fine. At least we can have a little bit more fun in the process. Uh, absolutely. None of us are saying that the Canadians rebuild is done. It's just no. entering a phase that's going to be a lot more fun to watch, uh, and and there'll be more interesting things to to pay attention to than just the draft lottery. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, Matt Anton, thank you so much for for joining me. Uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Um, have some fun. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.